welcome you in to another edition of the Baseball Elite Podcast, starting up another week of podcasting excellence, I think is what they're already calling it. At least I hope uh, that's what they're calling it. Kyle Elfrink, along with Ray Flowers, the Oracle, uh, getting closer to the start of the season. Uh, middle of next week, my goodness, next Thursday, April 1st, things will begin. We'll be playing some baseball. Uh, Ray, it's it's here, and, and you and I got woken up to the fact that baseball is here because this past weekend, you and I were both uh, very, very busy uh, with tout wars. A lot of drafting, a lot of bidding, a lot of salary capping, a lot of roster building. Uh, it, it was a fun weekend, as it always is. Oh, yeah, and it's, as everyone said on the broadcast, we all kind of wish we were there. Though I will admit, you know, and you, you said this too, you said it on the broadcast, I think, that we always end up rushing around so much, not that we don't have a good time seeing everyone, and you know, spending some time hanging out, but we're running around doing a bunch of things and it's like, boom, 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 get on the plane. So it's nice not not having to deal with all of the traveling component, but yeah, it does, it, you know, it does hurt a little bit that you don't get a chance to go out and see everyone and all that, but we were still able to um, have the event and I think it went pretty well. Well, I, for one, Ray, will personally contrast where I'm at when we do it remotely, like we did it this year versus the other years. Uh, usually if we do it in person in New York City, um, I fly in there Friday, meet up with some folks Friday night, wake up way too early on Saturday morning, uh, have a long day on Saturday, watch the NCAA tournament, meet up with people again for a night, wake up way too early on Sunday, um, <laughs> have to do another salary cap auction, uh, then have to rush out to LaGuardia Airport. I get home, I, I fall into bed, and I'm up early again. This The quality of this podcast rate is going to be helped by the fact that I didn't go to New York City this weekend. And to just support what you said, and I agree with you, um, everything you just said would be what I would do, except I'd probably be out two or three more hours later each night than you. And so you would lose even... like two or three hours on your flight back home. <laughs> well, that's true too. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been so, it's so weird because like I, the last time we traveled, personally, last time I traveled was January. We went to Vegas for, you know, the FSGA. January of last year. So, you know, I, I don't miss airports and crowding into planes and all that, but uh, it is too bad that we haven't got a chance to catch up with everyone. Uh, this is the uh, weekly Monday free edition of the Baseball Elite podcast. Of course, we also do podcasts on uh, Wednesday and then over the weekend. If you are a subscriber with a Fantasy Guru, uh, you are able to get all of the podcasts that we offer and all of the uh, creative writing that Ray and the crew offer over there leading you up to the start of the fantasy baseball season. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. We got a deal for anybody who wants to maybe sign up for more of us and more from fantasy guru for the year, but let's get into things with our starting nine. These are the uh, nine topics that we're going to be hitting on. We always give them to you at the start of the show. And you might've guessed it. Uh, the first couple of hitters in our starting nine are going to be uh, taking a look at tout wars, the uh, NL only tout Wars salary cap league. And then also the AL only Tout Wars Salary Cap League, some of the things that we pulled away from what went down uh, virtually over this past weekend. In the three-hole, we'll get you up to date on some news and notes, a, a couple of rookies that people are hot to trot for. Not going to start the season in the major leagues. What will that do for drafts leading up to this weekend? We will discuss there. Player profile will take us out west to San Diego. Is Emilio Pagan the closer for the Padres? And if he is or isn't, is he worth adding to your fantasy team? We'll get you a profile there of Pagan batting fifth, a little target practice. We'll talk about big arms out of the uh, late rounds, maybe the mid-20s, the late 20s. They're guys who you've heard, guys that you've seen, but guys that we haven't seen enough of. They've been injured, and right now their role is kind of uncertain. Are they a bullpen guy? Are they in the rotation? We'll have a little target practice with them. Six and seven in our starting nine. I'm saving this late, Ray, because I know you don't want to talk about it. But uh, we, we got to talk about head-to-head -head fantasy leagues. Um, because, Ray, I think you ran a poll. More than like 50% of your followers play in head-to-head -head leagues, right? Yeah, I gotta, I'll got i pull that up to verify it, but I was very surprised by the results. Uh, let me see if I can get that as we're talking here, Kyle. But yeah, it, way more people played. I think it was even above 50%. You, you keep yeah. talking, I'll, I'll find it, and we'll talk well, about we're, it. We're going to talk it over because so many people do play it that it's, it's worth discussing. Strategies can be different. Uh, there is different advice for head-to-head -head play versus, uh, you know, just a five-by-five -five roto league kind of play where you're not having a new opponent each and every week. Uh, so we'll get you a few of those. I know Ray had a column last week at Fantasy Guru talking about who he likes, who he doesn't like. That'll be in the seven hole for a head-to-head -head league. Random reference, of course, at nine. And then we'll finish things off today with our stamp of approval every week 
well, I guess every podcast, I should say, Ray and I give the thumbs up to something that uh, may or may not have to do with fantasy baseball. Uh, okay, let's get into it, Ray, with our starting nine, and let's begin with Tout Wars. And I'll say from the top, uh, Ray and I have been very, very lucky uh, for, for a decade now to be covering Tout Wars, participating in Tout Wars. Uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio has always allowed us to be a part of that coverage, and they did again this year. It was a lot of fun. And, and Ray, although covering a salary cap draft and participating in one isn't all that different for you, you did have a slightly different role this week, and you got to be an auctioneer at one of these drafts. I did, and I got to tell you that um, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, since we're doing everything remote, we wanted to kind of approximate the feel, right, and allow people to act like they were kind of there and we were still doing the same thing. So um, I was an auctioneer, and uh, I did it a little differently. Um, not that, you know, I went rogue or anything like that, but I had fun with it. Um, <laughs> and so I just, you know, the bidding would come up and it'd be like, you know, ah, oh, here we go. You know, who's up for bid? Oh, we've got Denelson Lamette. Nelson Lamette's up for bid now. And the righty with the arm issues, $7, $8. The righty's got arm issues. And, you know, we're concerned about how many innings he can throw this season. The Padres have so much depth. He's up to $12 to Jeff Erickson. I mean, whatever it was, I just kind of interspersed um, commentary versus doing the straight $2, $6, $9. I had fun doing it. I don't know how much actually went on over the air. My throat is still a little sore because I talked for two straight hours, um, but I had a lot of fun. Huh? Yeah, the, the auctioneering is fun, no doubt. I, I prefer either participating in the draft or covering it the way as a host. I, I don't, the auctioneering, Ray, I'd be down for maybe once or twice a year, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not something I'd want as my calling card. It's fun. I, I, I enjoy doing it. And, uh, you know, if Sirius ever hears this, I'd do more. Like, I think I've, I think I'm good at that. I, I think when I have to host, do your job. I don't think I'm as good at it, but um, I had fun doing the auctionary. Well, that was for the mixed league on Saturday night. Um, and that was a salary cap setup. And uh, Ray, I, I know there is a lot of attention on that particular league, but also a lot of attention on the uh, league specific. And, and I thought since both of us got to cover that and, and kind of talk it through, it's worth discussing uh, for NL Tout Wars and AL Tout Wars. And we'll begin in the one hole with NL Tout Wars. And uh, Ray, I, one thing that jumped off the page immediately is you see Jake DeGrom go for $40. No surprise. He was the most expensive starting pitcher. But I was a little surprised how big the gap was in terms of the salary cap between DeGrom and the next guys. Because, Ray, there was nobody else in the 30s in that salary cap room. In fact, everybody else like, like Bauer, like Darvish um, on and on and on in the national league, $27 was the max as, as close as they could get to Jake DeGrom, a huge gap between the, 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 the ACE. No one disagrees with that, but the next guys were such a bargain at that 27 or $26 cost. Yeah, we covered that. And, you know, we spent five hours looking at it and I was surprised, you know, a lot of those guys I've done, they old drafts with a lot of them we've obviously as you noted covered for decades here i was very surprised with how the spending went at the start especially when it came to degrom i'm not i'm very surprised it didn't go higher uh and i am also surprised that we we didn't see anyone else hit the hit the 30s now you know over at fantasy guru we only have two other pitchers in the 30s so it's not i wasn't shocked that no one else was there but it was, it was surprising. There was an artificial ceiling that kind of came out, and, and we see this happen a lot in auctions where people are afraid to, you know, jump a guy. You know, you Darvish is at 27. Well, there we go. You know, it's like we're not, well, no one else is going for 30 or whatever it might be. I think we saw that happen. And, you know, you mentioned it on the broadcast. I mentioned it on the broadcast. Um, I don't have a problem with the money spent on DeGrom. We have him listed at that at Fantasy Guru. If it was me, I wouldn't spend that money on DeGrom. I wouldn't spend 40 on him and 10 on someone else and have that, that other $10 guy be, you know, who be, you know, uh, Pablo Lopez. I wouldn't do that. I'd rather spend 25 on, on, you know, Brandon Woodruff and Clayton Kershaw. So I would spend differently versus spending that top dollar amount on Jacob DeGrom. Well, and it speaks to the truism of all auction leagues, Ray. Um, you know, you, Guru can have their advice that says, hey, uh, DeGrom's worth 40 and this pitcher's worth 32 and this one's 28. Mm -hmm. Everybody better understand that is not the end-all be-all. These markets and every single auction, they, they differ from place to place, from day to day. They're, they, I always say, Ray, that uh, the auction values that anybody sees, wherever they go for those auction values, um, you should treat that as, hey, if there were 100 auctions, maybe here's the average cost of that player. 
Uh, there will certainly be auctions where the players $5 more, where the players $5 less. You know, yesterday, you know, we saw Fernando Tatis Jr. He was the first name up. He only went for $38. And when it was all said and done, you know, I think we had five or six other National League hitters actually went for more. And there was some belief that anytime you throw out that first name of the entire auction, it's a it's a little bit of a hesitancy as to set, set the standard. And sometimes you can get a value. And so Tatis, your, your book may say, oh, he's worth 41 and then you see he goes for 38 in NL Town. Again, it's just a reminder that it's a market. It's an ever-changing market, and every market is totally unique uh, from one to the other. The market aspect is 100% accurate. The fact that it's not the same from draft to draft, 100% accurate. I don't buy at all. And I've seen people on Twitter say this, and you just referenced it because that's what people are saying. Oh, you throw the first guy out, no one's ready. Everyone in that room is ready. Okay. <laughs> You know, and, and it may be a, you know, an hour three when we're down to the $4 guys, maybe people, everyone is ready at the start of an auction. Everyone knows the cost of Tatis. I bet if you pulled every person in that room, every person in that room had $40 for Tatis. You want to bet? I bet every one of them did. I don't know why they didn't throw the money out. That's the surprising part. And to me, this idea that, oh, the first person you thought, yeah, because I, I have never in my entire life ever seen the first player tossed out go for three, four, five dollars less than expectation and have well, the reason. Let, well, well, let me stop you there. Okay. Because I think there was some of that with Tatis. Now, let it be known for the record, Ray's a, a lot more active in auction leagues than I have been. So he knows of what he speaks. But Ray, you could even draw the conclusion of, I'm going to throw out um, Zach Gallen mm -hmm. as the first name. You know, most of the time we get Tatis, we get DeGrom, we get Garrett Cole. You know, we get these huge names, Acuna, Trout, all these guys. But I think if you throw out a name that is a fine player, a known player, but he's not one of the top 40 players, I, I think you can secure a bargain because people just don't know how to relate a good player to what a great player is going to go for. Because if you throw out somebody who's the 25th pitcher before Jake DeGrom, I think there is a lot of uncertainty in that room as to what the 25th pitcher is worth at that point. I would back up my statement and agree with yours. Fernando Tatis is not Zach Gallon. Okay. So my point is that if you throw out an elite player, everyone knows what the elite player costs. Everyone should be, everyone's ready for that. If you zig or zag, you're right. Here, here's Denelson Lamette. Oh, yeah. Here's Charlie Morton. That, okay. Again, I don't buy it at all in that room of people that are experts that are doing it for profession, but you're totally right about that main point. My point was to the elite players. And Tatis is an elite player. He was the first guy thrown out there. All I can figure in that one instance yesterday, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe it was because we weren't live and in person and it was software because we saw multiple times throughout the broadcast, people, were, you know, they were having part times with the tech and all of that. Maybe that had something to do with it. Otherwise, I... I can't explain it because, I, again, I guarantee you those people have him listed as a $40 player. One other thing I'd toss out there is the National League especially is loaded with upper-end talent. And so Fernando Tatis is one of seven great offensive players. Um, and maybe people say, well, I just need one of these seven. Um, I'm a little more interested in this guy. I'm a little more interested in that guy. Perhaps Tatis missing some time in spring training. Scared off a, a guy or two for a $40. You know, you, you compare it to Soto or Acuna, uh, even Bryce Harper. Those guys aren't missing time in spring training. And, and so, Ray, maybe that was factored into the fact that those three guys and a couple of others um, actually went for more than Tatis. Maybe there was a $2 discount just because of the uncertainty with the guy. The, the, there, there are health concerns with him. I think that's still the, the one single piece because he had the back issue. And then we've only seen him play 143 games at the big league level. But I, and again, I'm, I'm pretty tied into this. I've seen no one say anything negative. I say something negative about Tatis and I get attacked. Like I'm an idiot. So I, you know, so we better stop you right here. Yeah, huh? yeah. Uh, it's an on-base percentage league. Okay. And if he is on base, percentage just 370, it's not elite. But it's still really, you know, it's still more than good enough to justify, you know, spending up. Again, I would just love to see everyone in that room, you know, because there's, they, they post over at Tout Wars. A lot of people, if they do reviews, they'll, they'll post the links and all that to see what they say about that. Uh, again, I think it could have been the software because it was the first player. Your point about there being elite level shortstops in the National League is 100% accurate and fair. Um, they're certain, the top four guys we have at Fantasy Guru are all in the National League. So, yeah, it, it, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm still not buying it. 
Um, we mentioned Negrom at 40. Um, the owner who secured him was Derek Cardi. Uh, Derek, of course, is becoming widely known uh, for, for his creation of the bat as a projection system. And Derek's been a part of these auctions for years and years and years, not only with Tout Wars, but also things like labor. And, and Ray, one of the storyline within El Tout Wars was Derek coming up constantly short in the bidding. And this will happen in every home league. This will happen in every expert league. Uh, the the fact of the matter is what you should care about is not the fact that it happens or who it's happening to. What you should care about, Ray, is how does that person or persons, it can sometimes happen to multiple people, how do they recover? How do they adjust? And I, I we heard it from Derek yesterday. We talked to him during the broadcast and he was frustrated. You know, he, 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 he wants to get his guys. And uh, there was a run of like, seven minutes where he missed out on six straight hitters by a dollar. You know, he just came, came and he was frustrated, but Ray, he never expressed a lot of worry. He says, I'm, I'm still in a good spot. I, I believe in my guys. You kind of made that similar defense for him. He knows what he's doing. Um, and, and I think for an expert, okay, it's kind of easy. You've been in that room a dozen times. So you kind of know what you're doing for a lot of home league players. That's not such an easy spot to be in. It's not. And um, the first year I did labor, I think uh, I was in the NL and I think my first player was like player 46 that was nominated. So I didn't have anyone. I had one player in the top 50 players that were nominated. And I remember after coming the draft. Up short, were you coming up, were you bidding and bidding and bidding? And, or, or were you kind of playing, keeping it quiet yeah. and just kind of seeing at the numbers? A little both, more the second. I mean, there's a couple of players I got outbid on, but I just thought the prices were too high. And I had a list of players that I was interested in. So I waited and waited and waited. The first player I got was Andrew McCutcheon. And I remember after the draft, I have never been blasted more mercilessly by the public ever for a draft I've ever done than that one. Worst team ever. I'm an embarrassment. How could I have a job? You know, all these kind of things. With a week left in the regular season, I was in first place. Okay, I finished in second, barely. Um, but it was the worst team I'd ever drafted according to every single person that responded. And I came in second place. And I think that one of the problems you run into, and I've mentioned this on the broadcast many times, that people out there don't do National League and NL-only leagues. They don't do them. And they look at these teams and they think, wow, if you're not the team that has Manny Machado and, and Javier Baez and, you know, Zach Wheeler and all, you know, Fernando Tatis on it, your team sucks. It's like, no. And, and Derek Carty, we, we talked about this on the broadcast too. He did the same-ish kind of thing in NL labor where he you know, had a bunch of these you know, $5 to $12 players, and he filled his team out that way. And I think the, the thing you have to learn when you're doing auctions, especially the league onlys, is that you need to have some patience, and you need to be smart about where you put the, the dollars. You don't have to have four guys at 35 bucks. It's sexy and exciting, but when you fill out your roster with guys that are getting 480 plate appearances – when you fill out your pitching staff with guys that are throwing 140 innings and not killing your ratios, that team can still turn out much better than most people think on draft day. It's a good jumping off point to move to the second spot in our starting nine and to talk about AL Tout Wars. And I, I say a good jumping off point, Ray, because you're talking about how these teams look when the, when the auction is over and people saying, oh my gosh, it's so weak, or this guy did so well. And, and of course, you're going to get those immediate reactions. And then people kind of forget how the season plays out. In AL Tout Wars, the defending champ here was Chris Liss. And I, I looked at Chris, and everybody knows Chris, of course, from Roto-Wire. He's been around forever, and he's, he's of course, a part of these, these Tout Wars and has been for, for decades now. And, and Chris, Chris's team last year, which won the league, Ray, it wasn't that great of a draft. He admitted it yesterday. Yeah, he even <laughs> said, I don't really know how I won. And, you know, the 60 games, I guess, were part of that. Um, you know, would his guys have carried forth for 162? That's up for debate. But the, the fact of the matter is he wins it. You know, he, he gets it. And, and what I go by with the draft, Ray, is like he spent big bucks on Justin Verlander, got nothing. Um, big bucks on Aaron Judge. He was hurt. Big bucks on Raphael Devers. Um, he didn't do much. Aaron Judge, he spent a ton on Judge, didn't get anything from him. And yet still won AL Tout Wars. And, you know, it speaks to the fact that on draft day, what we see and what we believe, man, oh, man, it's it still has a lot to do with how you manage, how you survive, the pickups, um, even making simple choices as as when to, to bring a guy into your starting lineup. So critical. Draft day gets a lot of attention. Everybody's excited for fantasy baseball. But in season, you, you can still, quote unquote, have a good draft or a bad draft, and you can either win it or blow it once you get into the season and start managing. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you and the listeners here, Kyle. Let's be honest with each other. Uh 
I am getting a little tired of, hey, rate my draft and all that kind of stuff questions because <laughs> it doesn't, like you're saying, it really, I hate to say it, it means way less than everyone asking the question thanks. Way less. That's why we play the games. Yeah. That's why we draft them and then we play the games. Just, just do a draft and hold if you want to do that, right? Just put your roster together and let it rip. I mean, the the idea that you could draft the best team and you could legitimately draft the best team and you could finish in eighth place. Your top three guys get hurt. Your pitcher blows his arm out. I mean, it's one of those, you don't, you make a trade. It ends up going crap for you. You, you pick up a guy off the waiver wire. You, and the guy that was second on your list was the guy that stars. The guy you got is junk. I mean, these kind of things, it, it, it's, it's an important starting piece. Like if you bomb the draft, you just bomb it. It's almost impossible to win. Okay. I, I really do feel that it's, I'm not saying that the draft is invalidated, but this idea that we had a great draft ergo, we're going to win the league. I'm just not there in that camp, Kyle. Well, and, and to speak to AL Tout, whereas Chris was like everybody involved in the bidding on Mike Trout, Trout was the first name up. Um, and unlike Fernando Tatis, he did go for full value. I think maybe even a little above $50. Mike Trout was the sell Mike Gianella of a baseball prospectus getting him. I stay with Chris Ray because his first player, Bobby Witt Jr. <laughs> and, and Bobby Witt Jr. two weeks ago in the NL, or excuse me, the AL only labor get together, his name did not even come up for bidding. Didn't even come up for bidding. Why? Because nobody thought he was going to be with the Royals in the first half of the season. A lot of people didn't expect to see Bobby Witt Jr. in the second half of the season. So no one even brought him up. Ray, he was the 10th name brought up in AL Tout Wars on Saturday. He goes all the way to 10 bucks. So from going to being totally unmentioned to thrown out very early, going for double digits. And then we learn on Sunday that Bobby Witt Jr. Isn't going to make the big league team. In fact, Ray, the Royals are going to start him in low a for 2021. And I mean, anyone hear our podcast last week? I mean, this Ray, yeah, Ray I, doubted it from the get go. Yeah. The podcast, Ray, Ray was not buying nope. the idea that Bobby Wood Jr. was going to make this club. I gave it a little more credit. And, and I'll still say this, Ray, despite low A, first half, I bet we see him in the we first could. half this year. We but could. that's very different from where we were, say, three days ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'll say, I want to say this too that, you know, it's an AO only league. You got to take your shot, right? And, you know, it's unfortunate for Chris in this instance, because like you're saying, if the draft had been held a week earlier, he'd probably get him for $3 if he wants to, right? We saw Mackenzie Gore go for $2 in the NL. Not that that's the same, but, you know, the 10 to 3, it's a huge difference in terms of the money spent. Um, the I, I saw a lot of this service time manipulation stuff with Bobby Witt. Folks have lost their minds, okay? And I said this on the podcast last week, and I'm going to repeat it this week. The dude has less than 200 major professional at-bats and they were at rookie ball as a 19-year-old, and he didn't have an official bat last season. There is no service time manipulation going on here. Zero. He's not ready. Period. He's not. Kyle, am I wrong? Do you think that paid a iota of anything with this, the service time talk, with the Royals wanting to keep him down to save money? Um, it's not an obvious one. It's, it's, very, it's very defensible, Ray, for the Royals to say, he's not ready. You know, that, that's that's very defensible in this case. Um, so, yeah, I would not invoke that. I, it, sure, it's maybe a part of the consideration. It's not the reason for, for the move with Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah. And so now the question becomes, when does he get called up? And the answer to that is depending upon the need of the Royals and how he performs. Okay. And, and we don't, you know, you, you have a... <laughs> People do this every year too with spring training, right? It's not just with with the, the the guys that are you know rookies. A guy goes out and hits 350 in spring. At the end of April, he's hitting 210. Doesn't matter. Spring training doesn't mean anything, right? All it does is, is is show a team that you're ready to go or not ready to go, and it gets you an opportunity to, to have some at bats. But once the season starts, it's totally different. People forget that pitchers are working on things in spring. You and I have joked around about this so much that, you know, pitchers are getting removed and put back into games this year. They've changed the way that, 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 that spring training even works. Sometimes innings don't even have three outs. I mean, it's, it's a disaster. And to think that, again, a kid who is at, as at 19 years old has less than 200 professional at-bats at rookie ball who posted an OPS in the 600s was ready for the big leagues is laughable because he had 27 good at-bats. Just absolutely laughable. And the people that think that, to me, don't understand how this game works. They don't understand the development of the game. 
and the service time manipulation stuff. I mean, again, the OPS wasn't 1270. It was 670 in 2019. You don't deserve to be there right now. And, and again, talking about timing of a draft or an auction. Um, let's say today we'd woken up to the news and the Royals say, oh, he's going to be on the big league team. All of a sudden, Bobby Witt Jr. in an auction league goes for like 18 bucks. Seriously. Instead, we wake up to the news. He's, he's starting at low A. And Bobby Witt Jr. goes for two bucks, maybe. <laughs> maybe doesn't even get picked. Who knows? But that is the emphasis on when you draft. Uh, again, it's a market. The market changes based off the news or the opinion available. And Bobby Witt Jr., just the latest example there. Uh, that'll do it for our Tout Wars coverage, talking the NL and AL touts. Uh, let's go to some more news and notes in our three spot. And, Ray, let's stay right there with the prospect who will not be on the big league team. Uh, Joe Adele of the uh, Angels going to be starting the season at AAA. Now, his situation's different. He's a high-end prospect like Whip, but we actually did see him play last year. Uh, it was a mess, though. Um, he'd look better in spring training this year, but the Angels still have made the decision to start him in the minors. I, I am a, a little bit surprised by this. It may only be for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we still have to get an actual start date for the minor leagues too. You know, maybe Adele's up by April 20th, who knows, but Ray, I was a little surprised. He's not on the opening day roster with them. Well, they've hinted at this, right? That he, you know, that he may not end up with the club to start the year. And I think the, the hill he had to overcome was the fact that Dexter Fowler was added to this team. And you know, Dexter Fowler well from St. Louis days. Yeah. Doesn't everybody know Dexter? Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. let's, can we move on? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I know he might hit ninth and no one's that excited. He's 35 years old, but he's a veteran and you know, it's a long season. And if we're being honest and you know, Joe Adele went the Mike Trout route to start his career. Now, if he goes the Mike Trout route the rest of the way, that's terrific. Right. But Joe Adele, a can't miss prospect missed. He fell on his face. He had dirt kicked in his face. He was stomped on his back. He was atrocious last year. He was absolutely overwhelmed. Absolutely. He shouldn't have been in the big leagues. 42% strikeout rate. He never walked. His OPS was in the 400s. Madison Bumgarner was laughing at him. He was awful. And, you know, this is what happens a lot of times to young, can't-miss prospects. He started opening day last year. He, he was 20 years old. I mean, as Bobby Witt, this, this game – even if you're talented, is very difficult. So the Joe Adele, you know, truthers, you have nothing to be ashamed about. You know, it's 38 games. Who cares in the grand scheme? He will be up at some point this year. Whether he performs as expected last year or, or where we're at this year, that's the, that's the question. Is he a fifth outfielder type at the moment? Is he a reserve round in the mixed league? Is it at wait till 2022? His time will come. I don't doubt that. It's just not right now, Kyle. Would you recommend, is he still stashable in a mixed league or do you let him go undrafted now? Yeah, uh, I would let him go. Um, you know, before this news that he was demoted, um, we actually had him listed outside the top 100 at outfield at Fantasy Guru. I'm just, he was, he, again, I'm not trying to pile on the guy. He was atrocious last year. He was, a, and that in effect, you know, assuming your league is five outfielders, you're talking about a bench outfielder there. If that, the, you know, like your yeah. seventh outfielder and a five outfielder. Yeah. Team. And which means I'm not, I'm not interested. Um, he, and again, he, the, the, pro, the, the one problem you run into with the Dell is he still is an elite prospect. Again, no one thinks he's going to fail. And if he goes out in the month of April and he hits 340 and he has six home runs and steals five bases in the minors and he gets called up, you're spending 40% of your fab to add him. Yeah. Right. So that's, if you want to, if you really want to play this forward, if that's the game you want to play, then draft Adele with your last pick. I wouldn't do it because I think the odds of him doing those things that I just suggested in the month of April are extremely low. Cleveland came out, and it's not to the level of Adele or Bobby Witt Jr. Ray, but Oscar Mercado. That was surprising. Um, yeah, he well, he's yeah. going to start in Triple A, yeah. and and his year was bad in 2020. Not like Adele, but it was bad. Uh, surprisingly good in 2019, but. I think everybody thought he was going to be the center fielder. It's not like the, the, the Cleveland's sitting around with a ton of talent for center field, but he's now going to the minor leagues. And, and I guess we see more of Bradley Zimmer. Maybe this does mean the Ahmed Rosario experiment is, is going to continue. I don't know, but Mercado, I, I guess we can take him off draft, draft list as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now again, I was very surprised by that. Um, I, I did not anticipate that happening. I mean, the Jordan Leplos of the world whoopie do, you know, okay, but Apparently, the, the Indians didn't like what they saw. And as you noted, Mercado was poor last year. 
Uh, I wouldn't be drafting him either. I totally agree with you there. Uh, the Bradley Zimmer thing is very intriguing because Bradley Zimmer is, you know, 6'5", 230, and he's like one of the 10 fastest guys in baseball. Like, he's got tremendous physique. He's got tremendous skills, and he doesn't do anything with them. <laughs> That's been the problem. Um, he, can't, he can't contact the baseball. And so, you know, he was injured as well. I, I, they must like what they see and okay, but he's a 28 year old that is completely stalled out after some optimism. Uh, I don't think that this is the last we've seen a Mercado this year. I don't think that Bradley Zimmer is someone to jump on. I think it's going to be one of those situations where the Indians might be mixing and matching an awful lot. You know, you talk about Zimmer, the dude played a hundred games and had 300 at bats in 2017. Uh, since that point, 63 total games, 63 with 156 at bats. So, right. We really have not seen Bradley Zimmer since way back in 2017. It's crazy. And, and Hey, we're talking about prospects. That was a guy who was high end and, and Ray, nothing's happening right now with Bradley Zimmer. If he does get the chance, it's, it's the last chance saloon for him. It is. And, you know, he's a player that you, you know, you can prognosticate out. He's a 15 home run guy stealing 30 bases like that. That's what everyone has always thought. You know, that's, and it just, like you said, it just hasn't happened. And so, I mean, it's funny. You look at his 450 at-bats to date, it's 11 home runs and 24 steals, which again is pretty close to the numbers I was saying for a guy that's really been awful. The problem is his offensive game has been bad. His OPS is 649. It just, it has not happened for him. And you're right. It's basically the last chance. It's certainly going to be the last chance for him, at least with the Cleveland, the Cleveland organization. It's kind of tempting in the 29th round, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it, but the problem is we still don't know that he's going to be the guy. They, right. they may screw around with us in the outfield all season in Cleveland. They, they, they might. Um, and, and that's something, I mean, they may end up moving uh, Jake Bowers to the outfield. They've got Jordan, Jordan Luplow there. I mean, you look at it. I know that you spoke highly of Josh Naylor recently. I, Josh Naylor, they want to, but do we know for certain? No, we don't know for certain he's going to get, get it done. You know, they've got Ben Gamble laying around, Daniel Johnson. I mean, so it's it's likely to be messy in that outfield for the Indians. At this point, uh, even Corey Snyder is going to return and, and maybe get a Love start the mustache. The yeah, random reference for you. A little early <laughs> in go. today's podcast. A couple of other things on the news and notes front. Uh, TJ Antoine, a guy who's been getting a lot of hype with Cincinnati. Is he in the bullpen? Is he a starter? I had to shut down a bullpen session early on Sunday. He's got a hip issue, so I uh, got to worry about Antoine just a bit. His teammate... Uh, Joey Votto did return to Cincinnati camp. He's been uh, out with the COVID issue. Uh, JT Ralmuto was scratched from his first appearance. He was scheduled to play uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies, but uh, Joe Girardi said, hey, he's a little bit sore. He had a lot of work, I guess, on Friday and Saturday. Uh, so that did not happen. It, it would be worth not even mentioning, um, except for the fact that we haven't seen Ralmuto yet, and uh, he was scheduled to play but did not play. Speaking of not seeing guys, Ray, Houston's Ryan Presley, haven't seen him since March 11th for the Astros. That's that's supposed to be the closer for Houston, and we haven't seen him in almost two weeks. I mean, this one's odd, right? Because they're saying he's healthy. Why is he not pitching? <laughs> At <Right>? all. <laughs> I mean, he's thrown 385 games over seven, eight years. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone's seen him. This is not like, the, you know, he's... Sid, you know, Sid Finch or something like that that's coming out of nowhere. Like, he's 32. Come on. Like, I've been reluctant to lower him in the rankings of Fantasy Guru. I, I don't know. Kyle, what do you think? You think there's there's some smoke here? I, I don't think there is, but I think this week is um, very important to follow. Now, remember, we, we brought this up with Valdez. Houston doesn't tell us anything with injuries. They're often incorrect, too. We, we usually discover they've been fibbing the whole time. Now with Valdez, uh, suddenly we've gotten to the point where um, I guess he's going to try to come back at some point this year. Um, whereas initially, like the day of the injury, it was like, oh gosh, this could be season ending. And then it took two weeks just to find out that he was going to attempt to come back or at least avoid surgery. And, and Ray, that's why I hesitate with Presley. You know, sometimes you have to look at the circumstances and certainly the team that's involved. Everybody knows this in fantasy football, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, and, and their injury report, it's a joke, means nothing. You don't know what's going on with the Patriots. Houston, I guess, is investing in that line of thinking, right, because it's it's starting to become very confusing 
as to what the status is on some of these guys. It is. And that's the bane of our existence. And I usually rail on this in football because we're more focused on the one game, meaning so much with the 16 different matchups, but it's the same thing in baseball. You know, there are HIPAA rules and there's all the kind of privacy for players. There's all of that. I get it. All right. I understand that component of this, but it's inconscionable to think that it took two weeks for us to know what was going on with Framber Valdez. I mean, it just, it's mind boggling that the people that follow that team weren't yelling and screaming every day. And I think (laughs) it goes to show you that in many people have made this point, the beat writers, are they in bed with the teams completely? I mean, is it, do they just, are they just completely PR machines? Because, you know, if I, if it's me, you know, me, Kyle, you know me for over a decade, if that's me, I'm asking the question every day and I'm leaning off every article I write with, well, they're not telling us, well, they're not telling us, well, they're not. And so when you have a situation like that occur, and then there's others in the past that you reference, you have to look at it with a cautious eye. And the truth is, some teams certainly seem to be more forthright. The Astros certainly seem to be way at the bottom of that list. Um, I will add the whole Zoom thing, Ray, that also limits these beat writers, at least over the last year, year and a half. Um, Nobody's going in locker rooms. You know, it, it's even hard to get face to face off the record things just because of how the access is set up. We hope that changes throughout the summer of 2021. But right now it's, you know, you, you only get the guys that they give you on that Zoom room. And uh, I, I'm not making excuses for those uh, beat writers because you're right, Ray, over the years, we've kind of seen that um, not all of them are as uh, in as we'd like them to be. Uh, but things are changing on that front to to limit their access. And, hey, we all know why, but it just kind of hurts us when we're trying to figure out what the situation is for a player. Now, moving to the four spot in our starting nine, we got another reliever. Uh, Drew Pomerantz has missed a lot of time. That's another guy we thought was going to be the closer with San Diego. He's got a forearm issue. At least we know there's an injury <laughs> with Drew Pomerantz. And because of that, Ray, um, we're starting to see maybe a little more attention on Mark Melanson and also Emilio Pagan. Now, all of us know Melanson. We've seen him for years. Nobody likes him, but he gets saves. And that may happen again this year. I'm more interested in Pagan. For our player profile on this podcast, what can you tell us about Emilio Pagan? Do you think do you think this could be the guy on opening day for San Diego? Yeah, the San Diego Union Tribune's got the article, and I've read it. And uh, one of our users at Fantasy Guru actually tossed it out in the chat room. Thank you, because uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen it yet. Um, encourage people to do that too. You know, we can have that, uh, the chat room is live and active. People can ask questions and get involved and, Hey, I need someone to join my league. Hey, where can I find this information? All that kind of stuff. So, um, Pagan is a player that, you know, he's, he's had a 20 safe season. He's been in the, you know, the bullpen for years. That's his career. He misses enough bats to be interesting, you know, 10 strikeouts per nine inning kind of guy. And, you know, he's dealt with some, um, health issues, especially last year, you know, he basically struggled through things. Um, So give him full marks for that. He's a slightly intriguing option. And I say slightly because I I have a hard time believing that he is a better pitcher than either of the other two guys at the moment, Melanson and Pomerantz. Now, Pomerantz is out of the mix because of the arm. If the Padres want to go with more of a power guy in the ninth inning, they would go with Pagan because Melanson's not a power guy. The issue with Pagan is the fly ball and the home run. And it's just, you know, and that's killer in the ninth inning. Absolutely. You, you don't get a chance to really come back from yep. that. Now, if you yep. give it up in the seventh inning, hey, my team still has three more at bats. But yep. man, in the ninth inning, you got, you know, three more guys coming up to, to make up for that home run. Absolutely. And so this, I think, as much as anything, they might look at Mike, look at him and say, well, you know, we think he's the guy right now. But and there's the but and the but is huge because, like you said, you don't come back from that. And, you know, Mark Melanson's nowhere near again some dominating force like there's no way he's going to better Pagan in the strikeout column but his career ground ball fly ball to ratio is 2.5 he keeps everything on the ground in the case of Pagan it's 0.5 okay it's 500 percent better for Mark Melanson so when do they throw Pagan I think that's the key you can and you can talk about the way the ballpark plays or whatever he allows so many damn fly balls over half of all the balls hit off Pagan are in the air doesn't matter where he pitches he's going to end up giving up home runs if he gives up a home run his first two or three outings in a row like that he's just not seeing the ninth inning even if he's the guy that opens up as the closer there will be people jumping on his bandwagon um you'll still get Mark Melanson eight rounds later 
you know, he Probably might have will. as much yeah. of a chance of save opportunities. And don't forget Pomerantz. Now, the forum issue is kind of scary, but don't forget about him on drafts, especially uh, if you've got an IL spot. So that is our player profile of Emilio Pagan. Uh, let's do some target practice in the five-hole, Ray. And uh, th- this kind of involves guys perhaps similar to Pagani. I think these guys are probably bigger arms. There's certainly more prospect hype with these guys. Uh, for those who don't know what target practice is uh, leading up to the start of the season, we'll talk about some scenarios that you may be in uh, with your fantasy baseball draft and uh, throw out some possibilities if you find yourself there and tell you which way the Oracle Ray Flowers would go. So, Ray, I, I thought today we'd look at uh, maybe the mid to late 20s in, in the rounds, maybe even early 20s, depending on what kind of league you're in, but we're talking about some big arms uh, that could actually spend time in both the bullpen and the rotation. Uh, we don't necessarily have a great feel for their role all season. Now we may know at the start of the season what the role is, but that could certainly change as the season moves along. And I'm wondering if you're just wanting to take a chance on one of these guys and they all have pro- prospect uh, pedigree. There's no doubt about that. Um, if you're sitting there in your draft and you're looking at Michael Kopech of the White Sox, Alex Reyes of the Cardinals, are A.J. Puck of the Oakland A's. Who's the big arm uh, that could be a swing man, both bullpen and rotation this year? Who's the big arm you're going to take a shot on there? Great question. It really is. Um, we talked a little bit about Alex Reyes recently. I think it was last week. And I just want to see more. I'm, ah, you know, I just, there's been so many starts and stops. And because of that, I'm going to kind of say the same thing with A.J. Puck. I'm going to take the healthy the healthy guy, I think, at the moment. And, and Kopech is... Uh, is the name now all of these guys have issues all these guys have concerns um but whether it's role whether it's performance all, you know there's the, the gambit like michael kopech was away from the team last year apparently because he was having some off the field issues with his significant other and their child and so you know you never know kyle but i'll take kopech i think that there's so much excitement and hype around the white Sox at the moment that you know there is a positive environment Kopech had, you know, he's got as much arm talent as there is. I mean, that's the case. It's been years. I mean, this is another one of those examples. People building around, you know, you build around Reyes, Puck, and Kopech three years ago. You thought you're going to be winning championships <laughs> by now, right? <laughs> but um, I'm going to go with Kopech. Um, I just get the sense that, you know, he's he's locked in, at least at the start, in that relief role. And maybe he's throwing two innings, that kind of thing. The other two guys, I get the sense more that they could be moved around here and there, depending upon you know, the need of the team. And I don't know if that's a good thing for the young guys. Yeah, I guess if you want to say whose role is most fixed at this point, it is Kopech. Um, you know, the White Sox say he's in the bullpen. That's what he's doing. He's in the bullpen. Whereas with Reyes and Puck, we know at the start of the season, Reyes is in the bullpen, but that could change. The Cardinals have issues, uh, to say the least, with their starting rotation. So they could bring Reyes back in there. And with Puck, he's going to be in the rotation as the expectation. Again, we've seen very little of him in spring training. And of course, we've seen very little of him in the big leagues. Um, and he is always a guy that you're tempted to say, well, maybe he's more useful in the bullpen. So don't be surprised if that were to happen to the A's. That is our target practice for this edition of Baseball Elite. Let's move to the sixth spot in our starting nine, uh, the head-to-head fantasy baseball league. And Ray, you looked it up. Um, do you prefer to play Roto or head-to-head in fantasy baseball? And again, this is do you prefer. This is not necessarily what you play, but do you prefer and Ray, I guess the number is about 55% in favor of head-to-head leagues. It is. And that was one of the votes that got a lot of, that's 20, almost 2,800 votes. So that's a big sample size. And uh, given my disdain for head-to-head and given that the people voting on this were following me on Twitter at Baseball Guys and voting, I would assume a good chunk of those people probably agree with me, right? So to see the number <laughs> be 55% says that pretty much everyone else doesn't, Kyle. Uh, you had a column over at Fantasy Guru. I think it was maybe back in February, maybe early March, talking about advice for those who are in these leagues. And, you know, Ray and I are not fans of head-to-head. We kind of uh, prefer the traditional. I'm actually a big points league guy. Uh, Ray, I think, is more uh, into the five-by-five setup. And, Ray, you do offer advice to people who are in these head-to-head leagues. So, you know, I, I think with all leagues, hey, understand the rules. How did the waiver wire work? Um, you know, can you make changes throughout the week? Those are things, um, you know, consistency and health. I, this might be overlooked by those in head-to-head leagues. And, and you might say, well, that matters in every league. But, Ray, I really think in head-to-head leagues, there are some guys that you kind of shy away from, A, for health, but B, because for whatever reason, they just go through, you know, 
high mountaintops and low valleys throughout the season. Absolutely. Now we have an article head to head players to target and avoid over at fantasy guru. So make sure you read that. That lists a bunch of players in all these categories. Oh, we're going to get to that in the seven. Um, Don't worry. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying um, how to win. Uh, I think, and again, there's many pieces of information in that, but you're, you're, we talk about it a lot and we had talked about it a lot in the weekend about getting plate appearances and in, in innings in the league only setups. And I think in the head to head setup, it's the same ideas a little bit differently said, and that's that how health being on the field, because, you know, there, there's some leagues and this is wild to me too. There's people that play head to head leagues that have open waivers every day. And I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I get the question all the time and they're like, what do you do? And I go, well, what you do is you don't draft the pitcher on draft day because the people are going to be changing pitchers every 10 minutes. Um, provided you don't have some crazy league like that, provided you, you know, do your waivers once a week and whether you can change your lineup on a daily basis or just once a week in season, you got to have guys you can trust. And it's not just, you don't necessarily want lefty righty kind of guys because they're not going to play every day those platoon players, you want players that are going to be in the lineup. And, you know, it, it's great if you take, you know, if you take, if the people playing took Aaron Judge and he was, you know, an all-star level player and he played 138 games this year, they'd be okay with it. They wanted to play 158, but if he played 138 at an all-star level, they'd be okay with it. In the head-to-head situation, if he's missing a game every three weeks, it's one game every three weeks, okay. If he misses three straight weeks what do you do? Well, Ray, the rest of my team will overcome it. Okay. What if that's the week, the three weeks that AJ Pollock is out? And what if that's the three weeks that CJ Crone has to rest because his knee is barking at him? So yeah, it's, it's one of those things that the boring stable I play every day, even if I'm not super elite on a per game basis kind of guy, those boring stable players really matter in the head to head. Because again, you're playing seven day matchups. You got to get it in the seven days. Doesn't matter what happens over the course of 26 weeks. And the randomness of those matchups, it's not like it's a head to head. Hey, I can survive that week without Stanton because I'm still going to be better than half the teams in my league. Doesn't matter in head to head. You got to be better than the team you're playing. Um, and, and so even saying, well, I, I have so much depth, I can survive against the rest of my competition in a normal league that's not head to head. You know, you've got 20 weeks to make up the difference. Whereas in head-to-head, you can get buried that week, and it kind of buries your wins-loss record. And, and you're fighting from behind starting in April, and you're trying to make up ground. Um, speaking of April, Ray, rookies. I mean, in a head-to-head mm-hmm. setup, we were talking about Witt. We were talking about Adele. Um, Oscar Mercado, not a rookie, but he's starting in the minor leagues. Like, it's difficult to stash guys and to carry guys who are giving you zeros in a head-to-head league. Very difficult. Uh, I would not recommend it. Because uh, again, playing the long game in the seasonal format is different. If playing the long game in head-to-head means you start the season two and six because you're playing the long game. You, good luck. You know, it's, you can come back from two and six, but my, the point should be obvious that you can't afford to give away any weeks. And not that one player makes you give a week away, but you know, you you got you you put a team together and you you take any of the names that Kyle just mentioned. Maybe you, you grab Nate Pearson because you think he's going to be a star. Well, he's not at 100. percent you, you got Noah Syndergaard because he fell to the 22nd round. Well, do you have a pitching staff now? I mean, it's it's one of those things that you can't then be going to the waiver wire and feeling great because you're rolling out Michael Lorenzen and Aaron Sanchez. So you, you've got to be careful with how you compose a roster, very careful in a head-to-head setup. And, of course, two start pitchers. You know, you just talked about pitching, but I, I know that plays in all leagues, but in head-to-head, it, you can have – <laughs> You could roll out four bad two-start pitchers, Ray, and it really doesn't matter what your competition is. you got a good chance of winning those pitching categories that week. Yeah, and on the weekends in season, we'll be doing a podcast every Saturday, Kyle and I, here on Baseball Elite for Fantasy Guru. Uh, we'll also have Vlad Sedler doing his fab piece. We'll have Rob Povia doing his you know weekly lineup look where he talks about lefty-righty this, home away that, and list the two-start pitchers because that is a key, especially in head-to-head. And it's why people say, do I draft differently in head-to-head? And I'm like, well – I, you should be fading pitching a little bit. What are you talking about? And I say to him, would you start a two-start Robbie Ray, a two-start Madison Bumgarner, or are you going to do a one-start, I don't know, Jesus Lazardo? Lazardo's a better pitcher, right? Everyone prefer Lazardo, but if he's throwing six innings, those other two guys are throwing 13, what do you want? So yeah, the two-start pitcher thing is huge in the head-to-head setup. Let's go to that latest column, Ray, the, the players you like, the players you maybe you don't like in head-to-head setups. Um, 
it's an article that was recently posted within the last week. And I know it's subscriber based. And today here we are on a, on a free podcast. So you're not going to reveal all of the guys, but maybe a couple of names and kind of what makes them uh, targets and what makes them players to avoid in head to head. Yeah. And basically the idea is that playing off what we just, what we just talked about, you want to have players that are healthy in your lineup. So there's a whole list of players that, Hey, these are guys that you can look at. These are players that you should be targeting. These are players that you can look at, but these are players you should be avoiding because we just can't trust them to be in the lineup. I think that is, you know, that's got to be a key. So there's a whole list of players there. Further, there are the players that, to me, there's players to target, there's pitchers to target. A lot of that has to do with stability in terms of the skill set. Uh, you know, we're going to remove guys like Alberto Mondesi that have this hacking approach that, you know, one week might hit 180, next week might hit 400. Don't necessarily want to be building around those guys. Um, players with good on base percentage actually ended up, you know, higher in this setup because, you know, guys like Jesse Winker, who not a lot of people necessarily talk about because his batting average dropped last year because he hasn't had that big home run season. A guy like that is actually a type of a player to target. Um, there's players to fade, and the players to fade are generally, and pitchers to fade, those are generally players that fall into one of those categories we just mentioned, the health of a player, the skill set style of a player. Um, maybe it's a, a workload concern. Like for me, a pitcher to fade based upon the cost would be Ian Anderson or Jesus Lazardo in a head-to-head setup. Now that's different than a roto setup. So don't, you know, don't confuse the two. But those younger pitchers where maybe they're throwing 125 innings, maybe they're throwing 135 innings. We don't know when those innings are going to be skipped, right? Like the Lance Lynn and, and you know, Zach Greinke's of the world hold so much value in a head-to-head because they're, as long as they're healthy, they're pitching. Jesus Lazardo, Ian Anderson might be scheduled to start. And on a Tuesday, they might just say, hey, he's not going to pitch this week. Yeah. They might say, we're going to shut him down for 10 days just to give him a rest. So that's, those are some things to think about, Kyle, when we're talking the head-to-head game. And again, the article's up. Uh, just uh, if you're a subscriber, you'll be able to find it. It's it's in Ray's recent articles. I know you've had some player profiles since, but what was it, five, six days ago you had that up? Yeah, and you can also just type it in the, the search bar at the top right, head-to-head players to target and avoid. Okay, let's uh, move along as we continue here on the Baseball Elite Podcast. It's time for our random reference. Uh, each and every podcast in the eighth spot of the order Uh, We go to baseballreference.com, we uh, hit the random pages, and we see what we get. Now, sometimes we'll get a guy who played in 1899. We don't talk about those guys. Sometimes we'll get a game from 1952. We don't talk about those games. Uh, But anything from 1980 to present, we'll talk about. That's what we're considering the fantasy baseball era. And uh, we had a couple of swings and misses with the random pages to start, Ray. But I have landed on a game. From July 27th, 2012, Oakland visiting Baltimore on a Friday night at Camden Yards. Uh, we had a shootout between the A's and the Orioles, uh, 23 total runs, um, a 14 to 9 victory for Oakland in that game. And the A's scored six times in the top of the ninth inning to come back and win that game. Uh, the damage coming against Jim Johnson, Ray. Jim Johnson uh, coming in to try and save that game for the Orioles allowed five hits, surrendered six earned runs. This game was so far back, Ray, that in 2012, the starting pitcher for Baltimore, none other, none other, I should say, than Zach Britton. Ah. He was the starting pitcher for the Orioles in this game. (laughs) When we had the COVID situation last year and there was all the uncertainty with what's going on, and people remember this, if they were subscribers to Fantasy Gear, I went back and pulled out old rankings, right? And old articles. Let's go back and look at the 2014, the time machine. And I found an article I wrote about Zach Britton as a starting pitcher. Um, yeah, as a different world. Uh, and it just goes to show you if guys hang around long enough, sometimes they find their role. It's not always at the start of their career. We talked about, you know, guys like Joe Adele earlier on. Um, Joe Johnson, uh, Jim Johnson, excuse me, by the way. Um, he's got two seasons for people that have forgotten. And I'm sure everyone has. He has 250 save seasons. <laughs> that, that's okay. more than Mariano Rivera has a 50-day season. That is. And that's that's more than 40 save seasons by Roldis Chapman, who has zero 40 save seasons. Roldis Chapman. But 250 save seasons back-to-back, 101 saves for Jim Johnson in 2012 and 2013. Uh, to confirm, correction, stand corrected, Rivera did have two years of 50 saves. But uh, they were not back-to-back. They were back in 01 and 04. But Jim Johnson, 
Ray, is he the worst relief pitcher to ever have 50 save seasons? Yeah, because that's a pretty small group. You know, you start getting into the Bobby Thigpen, Eric Gagne grouping. But, I mean, he was he was a really good pitcher for a long time. I mean, 178 career saves. He got ground balls. You know, he was a very good major leaguer. But, yes, back-to-back 50 save seasons from him, absolutely out of nowhere. Well, and check it out, Ray. Even though he blew this game, got crushed by, by Oakland in the ninth inning, this particular season, talking about 2012, that was a 50-save season. <laughs> for Jim Johnson. Yeah. Seventh in the Cy Young vote that year, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, check this. He gave up six runs in that game mm-hmm. and a third of an inning. And this game was in July, so about midway through the season. Even with the six runs he gave up in that frame, that one-third of an inning frame, his ERA for the season stood at 3.71 afterwards. I mean, he must have been at like I just figured one, it out. two before this game. <laughs> you take that one outing out, it would have been 1.71. Yeah. Huh. Eckersley like random reference Oakland and Baltimore back in 2012. Let's close things down Ray with our stamp of approval. Each and every podcast, we finish it off with uh, something that has entertained or enraptured Ray flowers and something that has done the same for me. Uh, Ray, what gets your stamp of approval today on Sunday night? I watched on the history channel, the food that built America. Uh, and it's a story of, you know, just, the foods and how they kind of came to be the history of them. And I just want to say that I get my stamp of approval to cheese straight up, just cheese. <laughs> I love cheese. Uh, I'll eat it in pretty much any form. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more advanced with my palate. Uh, there's the 12 days of Christmas cheese thing they do at whole foods. My significant other goes out and buys me a different cheese every day. Um, but so cheese is the general and uh, on the food that built America it was an hour long special about the Mr. Kraft and how that all began. Uh, the legacy of Kraft Cheese, who actually, Kyle, I didn't know this. Maybe you did. Uh, when Prohibition hit, Pabst Blue Ribbon pivoted to making cheese. Did you know oh, this? No, yeah. I didn't. They pivoted to making cheese because they couldn't make beer anymore. And they ended up getting sued by Kraft, who had basically gotten patents and everything for creating cheese, the processed cheese. So then they ended up selling, their, they ended up licensing out their cheese to Kraft. So Pabst was putting out cheese that Kraft was still getting paid for. And then when Prohibition ended, Pap stopped making cheese, sold all their cheese stuff to Kraft, helping him to grow his empire even more. Aha, uh-huh, I like it. That that show, the, the Food That Built America, I've seen, the, the reenactments are kind of hokey, yeah. but um, it is kind of, there's a lot of things that you do learn about. I saw the one, uh, Pizza Hut and Domino's. Oh, I recorded it. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. the And I saw the Burger King McDonald's. Okay. And then the one on chocolates, like Hershey and... Um, you know, uh, who was it in Chicago made payday. I can't remember the name, but you know, got the guy in Chicago. Nobody knows who he is, but he right. kind of changed the industry. So it is a fairly entertaining show. My stamp of approval. Um, also the food variety, uh, first off Lenten fresh fish fries. Uh, that's probably not a thing out by you. Is it Ray? That, I don't like, know what people... that is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, in the Midwest and, and I think in other parts of the country, but here I am in the Midwest, like during Lent on Fridays, uh, for, for those who don't know, like if you're Catholic, you're not supposed to eat meat. So, a lot of the churches as a fundraiser will have Linton fish fries. And, you know, usually it's it's cod. It's uh, maybe some fish tacos. Uh, some of them do baked salmon, uh, fried shrimp, those kind of things. And then you get hush puppies, coleslaw, mac and cheese. It's it's a gastrointestinal nightmare, Ray. It's, it's, it's just fried foods. Right. So so a lot of the churches do it around here. But on Friday night, I, I had the evening off. So I, I said, well, I'll go pick up some uh, fish fry. Uh, ran to the place and... Um, here in St. Louis, Ray, it's kind of a competition for the churches. You know, who can get the most people through, who can raise the most money? Uh, the fish fry I went to, and a lot of them are drive through now just because of the, the day and age we live in. But, Ray, they had to-go margaritas. Oh! So, stamp of approval to not only the fish fry, but the fish fry that has to-go margaritas. Uh, big stamp of approval on that one. Were they weren't too sweet? Not too bad. No, I, I, as, as I'm not gonna say they're the best margaritas, but um, nothing that I said, oh my God, they ripped me off. It was, I think it was five bucks for like a whole serving of margarita. It was good. Oh, it was tasty. If you don't have a margarita writer at home, you might yeah. as well pick one up. Yeah. Yeah. It was frozen. They put it in a nice pouch. Give you a straw. Nice. Um, I won't tell you what I did with it once I got it, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. Uh, those are our stamp of approvals for the day. Uh, quick commercial break, Ray. Is the code still available? Blue tin. Is, is that available for anybody who wants to take this free access that we give every Monday and maybe make it uh, weekly and yearly access? Absolutely. Yeah. For the rest of the month of March, the code is blue 10, B-L-U-E 10. 
and you can use that at Fantasy Guru to get the baseball package. You can use it at Fantasy Guru to get the baseball and football package. You can get it the football package only. I don't know why you would do that, but you could do that too. Um, and then you can also use the code BLUE10 at our other sites. Uh, EliteFantasy.com is for the DFS game. And then EliteSportsBetting.com if you want to get involved in, obviously, sports betting. So all three sites, you can use that promo code BLUE10. Uh, and specifically for what we're doing here, you can use it at Fantasy Guru to get the baseball package, the football package, or the baseball and football package. And you get us three times a week. Again, the Monday is always free. And I know a lot of our listeners uh, have enjoyed us that way. But we invite you to check out the Wednesday and and, and weekend editions, too. Believe me, you're going to need them in season. There's going to be a lot going on during the week. And Ray and I will break it down three times a week. As we head out the pod door, Ray, where can the folks find you? I always appreciate you telling me where they can find you, too, Kyle. That's on Twitter at Baseball Guys. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, on Instagram at the Ray Flowers if you want to see my uh, green beard from the holiday last week. Someday my wife may be looking for me, Ray, and she's going to hit you up on Twitter, I think. She she does have my phone number, so she could try that (laughs) way, but she could do Twitter, too. Yeah. Uh, As for me, the hunt for margaritas to go will go into overdrive. I'll be looking for more, I guess, this week. That'll do it for us. Does it for the podcast. Hopefully we did it for you today. Uh, We will see you later this week. Our subscribers only podcast will hit on Wednesday afternoon. Have a good one, folks.